off the 177th episode of Monster Kid Radio with the song Nightmare Beach from Vacations. You can find them over at vacationsga.bandcamp.com. The name of the album is Nightmare Beach. The song appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With their permission, welcome to the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio's involvement with Women in Horror Month. Every February is Women in Horror Month, where the women who have been involved in the horror genre get celebrated. And because Monster Kid Radio likes to play in the classic sandbox, that's what we're talking about this month on the show. The women who have contributed to the classic monster movies that we love so much. And this week, I am really excited because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite actresses with one of my favorite people. I'm talking about Evelyn Anchors, the first lady of universal horror. Is it fair to say that? You know, I don't know if anybody said that before. I'm saying it now. Evelyn Anchors, you cannot think classic universal horror without thinking of Miss Anchors or Mrs. Denning. And we'll talk a little bit about that with Paul McComas. Author Paul McComas returns to Monster Kid Radio. Paul, I said it to you privately. I want to say it now before we kick things off. Thank you for making this happen. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to appear on the show to talk about one of our favorite actresses. Before we get to all that, though, why don't we talk a little bit about MonsterKidRadio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. From here, you will find links to our Amazon store where you can buy books and movies, things that we talk about here on the show through Amazon, through us. We get like a penny or two back on that. If you do that, it helps support the show. You can also support the show by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. You can find out more about the show on Facebook as well. We've got a link to our Facebook group. We also have a Facebook page, just as kind of an addendum. There's not a link to it from our main website, but if you are a Facebook user, I'd ask you to go to facebook.com slash Radio and give us a like. We're trying to get to 500 likes. That's the next plateau for us. 500 likes on Facebook, and I don't know if what happens then? I don't know if Mark Zuckerberg shows up and gives me, I don't know, a clock or something. I, I don't know. But 500 likes, that's what we're shooting for. We also have our contact information over at our website. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And we have a voicemail set up through Google Voice at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-M. KR. Because it's a Google voicemail line, there is a three-minute limit. However, if you have more than three minutes worth of things to say about this episode or any other episode you've heard on the show or have any suggestions for upcoming episodes, you can always create a wave or MP3 file and just email it to me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. We're going to revisit this contact information at the end of the episode, but why don't we go ahead and dive into part one of my conversation with Paul McComas about Evil and Anchors right after this. Creature of evil, running amok, blazing a trail of fear-crazed horror. From the jungle's most guarded secret comes this amazing story of a captive wild woman torn between the mad cravings of animal blood and the longing for human love. A woman whose jungle instincts give her sinister power over man and beast. And suppose your experiment does succeed. What will you have? A human form with animal instincts. You know what the priests will do to you if they catch you? No, of course you don't. They'll put you on trial. Then they'll put you in the electric chair and kill you. 
Zombie, a new novelization of the classic horror movie from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, Drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. I see you marrying a corpse, living in a grave. The vampire can assume very many different forms at will. Sometimes it appears as a bat, and sometimes as a small cloud of swirling vapor. In this way, it can move unseen among its enemies. Son of Dracula, searing the screen with new terror in this weird tale of the living dead who rise from the grave at night to prey on unsuspecting victims. With Louise Albritton, Robert Page, Evelyn Ankers, Frank Craven, J. Edward Bromberg, and Lon Chaney as the new Count Dracula, you'll shudder at the screen's most fascinating woman vampire, luring men with cold beauty and the promise of immortality. Count Alucard is immortal. Through him, I attained immortality. Through me, you will do the same. She was a British actress born in Chile, but she left her mark on the hearts of monster kids around the world due to some of the films that she was in. And of course, I'm talking about Evelyn Anchors here on Monster Kid Radio as part of Women in Horror Month. I can't think of Evelyn Anchors without thinking about Lon Chaney, since she was a frequent co-star of The Man. And I can't think of Lon Chaney Jr. without thinking about Paul McComas, the guest on the show this week. Paul, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio. Thank you, Derek. And I can't think of Monster Kids without thinking of Derek Cook. Ah, uh, so. you, you flatter me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you are the chief kid among us, I would say. Uh, if we were to elect a, a president of Monster Kids, you would win in a uh, in a landslide. <laughs> yeah. I, you, you got me speechless, sir. I, I thought I knew where it was going to go, but hey. There you a go. landslide comparable with the uh, blown-up dam burying... Uh, the castle and Viseria at the end of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. That's that's how serious of a landslide it would oh, be. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> Paul, it's been so long since we've had you on the show. How's it going? Going pretty good. My projects are uh, moving forward, and there always seems to be something I'm promoting, and something that I'm working on, and something that I'm hoping to work on in the future. Definitely keeping busy, and three-way three-ring circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I hear you. <laughs> Anything that the listeners should know about that you've been working on lately? The sequel novel to Logan's Run called Logan's Journey that I co-authored with William F. Nolan, who wrote the uh, original Logan's Run and and, uh, the first two sequels. The audio book will be recorded this August, September in England. I'll be there to uh, narrate it in studio with Michael York and Jenny Agder, who will be reprising their starring roles as Logan and Jessica. That's the great thing about an audiobook. You know, they're 40 years older, and clearly they couldn't pass as Logan and Jessica 
today, not not young Logan and Jessica, but the voices are similar enough to the ones that appeared in the movie that they can do an audiobook in the same roles. That's awesome. Very excited about that. It's actually going to be released as an audiobook before it's released as a, a print and an ebook. And I'm working on a scholarly film book right now with, uh, again, a co-author, David Lurison, and I are writing a book about Edgar G. Ulmer and his films, which will certainly include genre films like The Black Cat, Ooh. Daughter of Dr. Jekyll, The Man from Planet X, Beyond the Time Barrier. Those are, I think, the main science fiction and horror films that he directed. I'm looking forward to that. You've mentioned that in passing to me in the past. and mm-hmm. that's, you know, The Black Cat's one of my favorites, so I'm looking forward to that quite a bit. Yeah, terrific movie. Oh, yeah. Well, that's great, and I'm excited about the Logan's Run project. I've been kind of following. I follow you on Facebook. You know, we're friends mm-hmm. outside of Monster Kid Radio, and yep. I've been watching that, and I'm, I'm really stoked for that. And that Michael York is going to be back involved with that, and I mean, that's just amazing. And Jenny Agutter, who yes. you know is rivaled perhaps only by the evil and anchors who we'll be talking <laughs> about today. There, there's a segue for you. Yeah, uh, there you rivaled, go. rivaled only by Evelyn in terms of. Uh, fond feelings uh, on the part of uh, a young me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time you saw her, was it in The Wolfman? That's a good question. I saw so many of those movies starting when I was probably 10 and then going up through 11, 12 and into my teens. I don't recall which one was the, the first Evil and Anchors movie. Mm-hmm. It was probably either The Wolfman or Ghost of Frankenstein. I mean, she certainly did quite a few. Let's see, I have it written down here. Uh, by my calculations, she did 27 films while under contract to Universal. Right. Even if you haven't seen The Wolfman, which if you haven't, shame on you. But even if you haven't seen The Wolfman, but you've seen some of the other Universal monster movies, you've come across Evelyn. You can't help but come across her because she's in so many things. And indeed, she's the only actress to have appeared in a Wolfman movie. Frankenstein movie and a Dracula movie mm-hmm. from Universal. Yeah, she never got to hang out with the mummy, but no, big that's three, right. She got that's to hang out big with big three, but not the big four. In a real tangential connection to Creature, because she was married to Richard Denning. Richard Denning, that's yeah. right. No doubt, she visited the set of Creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They should have found a some kind of a walk-on role for her. I yeah. know, right? <laughs> but she wasn't really that into acting. She's one of those people who was. Very good at something that she didn't particularly enjoy, uh, at least according to what I've read. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the acting she did was under pressure from her mother initially when Evelyn was a child actor. And then uh, in later years, after the father had left the family and they had moved back to England. And I think the, the mom relied on Evelyn and the income that this child actor and then young woman uh, was the income that she was drawing. And the two of them were were living off of Evelyn's work. Mm -hmm. So she sort of got backed into this profession. And maybe that's the reason why uh, after 1950, virtually nothing in her filmography. Yeah, uh, she moved to Hawaii with Richard Denning Mm -hmm. and became a mom and a housewife and did did a couple things, you know, on TV, but seemed to be very happy being Mrs. Denning. Right. Her husband was offered the role and took it of... Uh, the governor of Hawaii in Hawaii Five O, um, and Evelyn was offered the role of the wife, the first lady of Hawaii, and she she turned it down. I was going to ask, she wasn't on the show no, at she all. Never did, mm. never did. Yeah. That's a shame. I know that she did appear in a movie or two with him. Black Beauty. She so she's important not only to monster fans and monster kids, but also to uh, 
fans of horse movies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the adaptation of the classic equine novel *Black Beauty*. Yes, uh, co-starred uh, Denning and Anchors. Mm-hmm. And now I've not seen that actually. I feel like I've I've not done my job enough here, but I've never seen it. Have you seen it? Uh, years ago, she's still young and beautiful. I remember that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, she really had a very uh, unique look, very statuesque in some of the things. I mean, I love her look. I thought she was a beautiful actress, but skilled mm-hmm. as well. Great class and great craft at the same time. You know, exactly. And look at actresses and actors, for that matter, who had the looks or even the star quality, but didn't have acting chops. Mm-hmm. Or some that became great character actors and actresses who could perform but weren't riveting at first sight. And I think that anchors had both. It's very hard to take your eyes off her in any scene that she's in. And she does often a lot with a little. A movie like Son of Dracula, Mm -hmm. where she's not the female lead. She's playing the sister of Louise Albritton's character. And Albritton is the female lead, but ultimately a, a villainous character. And Evelyn... She doesn't have any scenes with Cheney in that movie, interestingly enough. They don't share any scenes. Probably neither one of them minded because they didn't care for each other very much. But she does quite a bit with the role of the sister, kind of prowling around and looking for evidence that this count that her sister is married is up to no good. And uh, she comes across as uh, sort of a voice of reason and that movie, much as she does in um, in Ghost of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. as she watches her father, played by Cedric Hardwick, getting pulled down that familiar path, destruction of Frankenstein, pair a feast, a feast again, uh, the father and then <laughs> both sons, and then even people who weren't members of the family, like uh, Dr. Mattering. Mm-hmm. Everyone keeps making the same mistake. They're they're tempted by the the amazing feat of of artificial life and bringing the monster back one more time. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I've rambled there, but, you know, I, I mentioned briefly the contentious relationship with Cheney. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about it, but let's also recognize that I think a, a sign of both her and Lon Jr.'s talent was that it never came across on screen. They had wonderful chemistry in The Wolfman as this oh, yeah. couple, you know, and they were working each of them with a a real handicap because they they didn't care for each other. Now, she is quoted, though, as saying of Cheney, when he wasn't drinking, he could be one of the sweetest men in the world. Mm -hmm. Then again, he was drinking an awful lot at the time. And she was five foot eight, a good height to uh, co-star with Cheney and not be dwarfed. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Cheney often was cast with shorter actresses like Elena Vertigo in... uh, House of Frankenstein, but uh, you know when she when Eggers is in her heels in The Wolfman, she's just a couple of inches shy of Cheney, and uh, they're nearly eye to eye. So she really does stand her ground, um, not just in terms of stature, but in terms of acting chops. Uh, no mm-hmm. matter who you put her up against, we've heard the stories about her and Cheney, and whether they did, didn't, you know, whatever the issues were. They always seemed to have a great chemistry on screen. They were professionals in their craft. They may yeah. have come to it a different way. I mean, Lon Chaney Jr. is a little bit more of a rough and tumble kind of guy, whereas Anchors had, you know, Broadway in her basically. So, I mean, they yeah. they had you know a different approach. But when they're working together, it sparks. Yeah, in Weird Woman, you know, they're they're playing oh, uh, former lovers, 
um, and, and it's a villainous role for Angers, though we don't know that at the start. Uh, I think it's one of uh, her best performances. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she really hated... Uh, yeah, she playing... wasn't a fan of being the bad guy. <laughs> well, right, and, and having to go after Anne Gwynn, who was her best friend. Right. Anne Gwynn and she had shared a dressing room at Universal. In fact, it was the dressing room that Janie and his friend, Broderick Crawford, used to use to get drunk and, and get up to various antics. I think I read that they used to try and attach the furniture to the ceiling and brawl in that room. And supposedly the animosity between Cheney and Anker started when Cheney uh, discovered that uh, his old room with Crawford had been given away to uh, Anker's and Gwen. I don't know. Well, I had read that story as well. Yeah, a lot of this could be apocryphal. Who knows? What we do know is, is what's on screen. What we do know is what's preserved. And ultimately, I think that's a lot more interesting and important than stories about what may or may not have happened behind True. the scenes. I've got a book here from 1978 called The Golden Age of B-Movies by Doug right. McClelland. And Evelyn right. Akers wrote the introduction yep. uh, to the book. And she makes reference to that and you know how he and his co-star wanted to – I mean, that, that's what they did. They got into fights every night, and they enjoyed it. Yeah. That was their thing. Uh, so she relays that story as well. She talks about her involvement in Weird Woman and how she felt she was miscast and how she had a really difficult time being mean <laughs> to Gwen because – they got along so well and she would try to shoot these daggers with her eyes and they just found it so laughable and just start laughing right. in the middle of a shot. A lot, a lot of broken takes. But in terms of what ended up in the final cut, uh, it really works. It, oh, it's yeah. interesting to watch uh, the transformation of uh, anchors in that movie because initially, the first time you see that film, you're not sure who's good and who's evil. Mm-hmm. I know that I assumed early on that Cheney's new bride was a, a dangerous voodooist who was going to bring him to harm, in which case the concerns of Anchors' character are, are valid. But then as the movie proceeds, you start to feel somewhat uneasy about uh, some of the manipulations of Anchors' character. She plays the librarian at the local college who's holding a torch for Cheney's uh, character, a sociology professor. And the title of the movie takes on a, a different meaning by the end. Initially, mm-hmm. we assume it's a reference to uh, the kind of jungle bride that Cheney has brought home during his, his work abroad. Um, and by the end, we realize, really, the weird woman in the film is Anchor's character. It's this woman who is so evil that she's able to cold-heartedly plot bringing down not just her rival, Cheney's wife, but she's responsible for the suicide of another character and the grief of that character's widow. And the Weird Woman is uh, the girl next door, in essence. Yeah. Weird Woman is my favorite of the Inner Sanctum films that Lon Chaney did. And yeah. a big part of the reason for that is Anchors and her performance and her role in the film. It's really against type, but it's so fascinating, mm-hmm. and she is so good in that. Now, she yeah. also did The Frozen Ghost, which is another one of the Inner Sanctum films with Cheney. Right. And I know I've seen it, but I don't remember much about it, which yeah, probably... not a very good movie. I, I, I think that um, three of them were quite good. Weird Woman, Calling Dr. Death, and the one that was not shown on UHF when the other ones were Strange Confession for legal reasons. Um, Cheney's in all of them. Yeah. I think those three are quite good. J. Carroll Nash is in, in that one with Cheney. And the other three, you know, I think Dead Man's Eyes is is okay, 
and Frozen Ghost and Pillow of Death are, are not very good movies. Maybe we should do a segment on the Inner Sanctum Mysteries at some point. I really want to, and I yeah. think you'd be the man to do it with. So <laughs> I'd love to do it. Yeah. You definitely should. I, I'm glad we're talking about her now because this year is the 30th anniversary of her passing. I think it's a tribute to mm-hmm. what she was able to do in her body of work that 30 years after she's gone, people still care. And, you know, it comes right back to, again, that combination of the craft mm-hmm. and the charm. As you mentioned at the outset, she was born in Chile, spent most of her childhood, though, in England, had to uh, learn an American accent, uh, but then often was required to go back and yeah. use her natural British accent anyway. Uh, and what you hear in movies like The Wolfman and uh, Ghost of Frankenstein, to me, is almost a compromise accent. Yeah, It's not quite an English accent, and it's not quite an American one, too. You almost get some of that in the Sherlock Holmes films she did, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it is charming. Watching her work, choices that she makes, in playing scenes in, in certain ways. So I'll just give you one example, and mm-hmm. that is that a screen actor can, in, in a, a scene with a co-star, can say in silhouette, as those scenes often are shot mm-hmm. uh, in profile, can focus on the near eye, the eye nearest the camera of the co-star, or can focus on the far eye, the eye that's not as near to the camera. And usually it makes sense to focus on the near eye. It's part of cheating both faces toward camera. But it's also helpful to know when not to focus on one eye over the other, but to let your eyes flip back and forth, left, right, left, right, left, right. And anchors often did that in times of anxiety and extreme mm-hmm. uncertainty. So in The Wolfman, you look for that scene where Talbot, Cheney's character, uh, confesses to her. And, you know, he's just found out and is starting to believe that he's a werewolf and says that to her. And she starts to move her eyes back and forth, back and forth between his left and his right. It's a small thing and not the kind of thing that people consciously notice. But in that gesture, you can see that essentially she's fallen in love with this man. If she kept her gaze on the near eye, I think it would, it would signal distress at what he's saying and concern for him. But the way she she plays that scene, instead, you can see the beginning of a broken heart. You know, you're talking about that scene, and it's so affecting and so moving. And granted, I've probably seen The Wolfman more than, well, a lot of people out there, just because I love the movie so much. But you're talking about it, and you can just see that in your mind's eye, just seeing the eye go back and forth and and the look across her face. I mean, there's so much happening there, and not a word is spoken. Right. She's listening. Yeah. And she's tricking. She's a great reactive actor. Oh, uh, yes. Look at the scene in uh, Ghost of Frankenstein where she walks into her father's study one night and he's left Henry Frankenstein, his father's journal, out on the desk. And, you know, she sits down. It's Pandora with the box, starts to page through it, reading these god-awful things, which then leads to a flashback to a different movie. Uh, <laughs> the original Frankenstein, yeah, but with a, sh- a shot of Cheney being un- um, unbandaged as the monster thrown right. in there, um, and uh, the scene ends with uh, the monster and Igor appearing in the in the window, and their shadows cast over Elsa Frankenstein, uh, Evelyn's character, and she turns and unleashes one of her formidable screams, the best scream in Hollywood. Oh yeah. Well, the side of Fay Ray, they'd have to have a scream off. Uh, I, I think it would be one or the other, and the and, and the, the the one that didn't win would take the silver. There but, you go. 
you know, it's not just that great moment of the shadows and the reveal in the window. It's everything ramping up to it that makes that scene work. And in a way, uh, Anchors is really the, the point of view character for the audience in both of those movies, and particularly in The Wolfman, because the audience isn't entirely sure what's happening there, how much of this is going to turn out to be supernatural, how much of it is psychological. It could be more like I Walked with a Zombie and other tourneur films where there's a lot of ambiguity about it. So she's finding things out as we are. She's actually the second or third most important character in that film. She receives seventh billing, but that's only because she wasn't as established as some of the other actors in that movie. I think you'd have to say that she and Claude Rains play in one order or the other, the second and third most important characters after Cheney as as Talbot. She has as much screen Mm -hmm. time as Claude Rains does, and the two of them each have more than any other supporting character. She is the female lead and the romantic lead. And again, I'd say she's the point of view character. Mm-hmm. A little bit less so in Ghost of Frankenstein because the audience knows uh, a few things that, that Elsa doesn't. But it's interesting in Ghost of Frankenstein to watch her dealing with what's happening to her father and how she manages at the end to both make a decision that she's going to confide in and be on the side of uh, her fiancé and uh, the, you know, the prosecutor and the village, but at the same time try to take care of her father. That's the conflict for her. The circumstances of the film place her in a sort of triangle of loyalty between her father and, and the man she loves. You know, I, I try to imagine sometimes some of the other actresses of this era, and I can think of the actresses that were in the 30s, you know, like the Faye Ray, yeah. and in the yeah. 50s, but when I think of the 40s, I... Anchors overshadows all of them for me. I mean, she was in so much, and yeah. she did so good at it. I and mean, she was such a great actress. And you mentioned that she was kind of pushed into this as a child. I wasn't aware of that historically. Yeah. That that's how she got her start. I know she did a lot of stage work. Was that something her mother kind of pushed her toward, based on what you read? Well, sure, but it's all of a piece. She was a child actor. And to her credit, she she didn't harp on this. Sure. It was Denning who talked about it in interviews. Oh, of course, okay. he survived her by 13 years. She died far too young at 63. That's true. Yeah. And he was around for another 13 years. So, uh, yeah, he told the story about how uh, Evelyn became the meal ticket for mom. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about the, the triangle of loyalty and um in uh, yeah. Frankenstein. There was one in The Wolfman, too, of course, because sure. when the movie starts, she's she's engaged to the uh, gamekeeper at yeah. uh, the Talbot estate, Patrick Knowles' character. Then Janey comes in, and it's clear early on that he will be a serious rival for her affections. The dialogue has her saying, no, I won't go out with you, no, I won't meet you at eight, but uh, everything in her body language and her facial expressions suggests that... Mm-hmm. Uh, he is indeed, uh, <laughs> I hate to say this with the wolfman, he is barking up the right tree. Uh, <laughs> his persistence will be rewarded. I'd like to say that yeah. was planned, ladies and gentlemen, but no, that was, Paul just sprung that on me. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, and it's interesting. We're talking about things like, you know, her, her lines say no, but her body's saying yes. The eyes going back and forth. With somebody who started on stage to have these subtle bits of acting as part of their repertoire, right. it's amazing to me because on stage you're big and you want to make sure people in the back see the same thing as people in the front. She's got these nuances down. She was a very intelligent actor. Yeah. That's one of the things that always came through. And that comes from being an intelligent person. Mm-hmm. And an intelligent person who goes into acting understands that basic difference between stage acting, which has to be for the last row, and film acting, which is often just a, the lift of a cheek muscle. Mm-hmm. She got it. She yep. got it. She was versatile. She couldn't save the frozen ghost, but there are some nice <laughs> moments to, nice moments for her in there, too. She was a contract player, so she yep. did what Universal put in front of her. And something like the Frozen Ghost or like the Jungle Woman movies, which right. are not in the same tier as things like The right. Wolfman or anything like that. But she still brings her A game, even if these are B movies or C movies or, or, or worse. <laughs> yeah. Captive Wild Woman is bad enough, but then she's required to do Jungle Woman, mm-hmm. uh, where all of her scenes, it's really just one scene that's broken up into pieces. It's a courtroom scene. Basically. She's talking, talking about the the prior film's events, mm-hmm. which allows the producers to use a lot of scenes from the prior movie and save money. The only really remarkable thing about her performance in Jungle Woman, the second film in the series, is the enormous hat that she's wearing <laughs> while she's giving her testimony. It takes up about a third of the frame in most of the shots and uh, hides her face at, at some points, which I think probably she was happy about, given the <laughs> low quality of the material. Uh, if I'm reading some of this right, it, the introduction she wrote in that book that I referenced, she talks about bringing her own hats to set, that sometimes mm-hmm. the downs were provided or costume was providing, depending on the budget. Yeah. And she didn't mind as long as she could bring her own hat. So Yeah, she wore a hat very, very well. Yes, she did. You know, it takes a statuesque woman to, I think, really pull off mm-hmm. um, some of those hats. And some of those gowns, too, on a shorter woman like uh, Faye Helm is just not going to be as effective. Mm-hmm. But, but Anchor's always managed. And, of course, they appeared together in The Wolfman as, as friends. Faye Helm, tragically, the, the character that is going to be healed by Bela the werewolf. Can you tell that she's one of our favorite actresses? If not, well, then we're not doing a good enough job or you're not paying close enough attention. We love Evelyn Anchors. She is fantastic, and I can't wait for the next couple of days because in episode 178, Paul McComas is going to be back, and we're going to complete our conversation about Evelyn Anchors and the impact she's had on us and the movies that we love so much. If you can't wait a couple of days for more Paul McComas, of course, you can always check him out at his website, which is paulmcomas.com. That's Paul, P-A-U-L, M-C-C-O-M-A-S dot com, or again, follow the link in the show notes. Also, not only do we have Paul next week, we also have a little bit with Gregory William Mank. I chatted with him at Monster Bash last June, and, well, I played that recording on the show already. However, I asked him about Evelyn Anchors, and he had a few words to say, so I'm going to put that in the next episode as well. All right, I mentioned the contact information at the top of the show. Why don't we mention it again here monsterkidradio at gmail.com our voicemail line is 503-479-5657 that's 503-479-5mkr the reason i bring this up again is because well women in horror month continues next week and the last episode of women in horror month here on monster kid radio which will be thursday february 26th i'd like to include 
your thoughts. I'd like to hear who you think is important to classic monster movies. Which women in front of or behind the camera have contributed to the genre that we love, the subgenre? I've gotten some feedback. I'd like to get more. I'd love to include you in the show. All right, like I said, Paul McComas will be back here in a couple of days. We'll be back with another song from Vacation. Why don't we go ahead and wrap up the show by letting you know that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Nightmare Beach. That belongs to Vacations. It's on their album, Nightmare Beach. You can find them at vacationsga.bandcamp.com, or you can follow the link in the show notes. If you pick up the album, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody here in a couple of days. (laughs) 